to hold and give and do it at the right time and the right time is now for a little bit of a placeholdery podcast because Jackie Orlando who is currently streaming to us live from his palatial estate in Orlando Florida as you can see by the dreary lighting the big thick jacket it's winter time over there in Orlando yes it is uh, unseasonably cold here in Orlando Florida where I reside. Correct. How are you doing, Jack? It's on your uh, on your week off work. <laughs> I'm I'm very tired. I'm I'm very tired. I have a headache. Um, I'm old. I'm sore. Uh, this should be a great video because I'm in a bit of a mood. So, <laughs> how, how are you though, Ross? How are you? More I'm tickety boo. I've just had a fantastic morning <laughs> poo after an onion bargy burger last night. So had an mm. extra bit of chutzpah did the poo this morning. Uh, triggered by a morning coffee. Uh, everything's bright and I'm ready for a fantastic video where we are going to have an argument. And I'm glad you're in a mood because it'll make for a better argument, I would assume, as to who is mm. the greatest Premier League marksman of all time, the greatest Premier League swordsman of all time. Who's got the biggest cock in Premier League history? And it is Les Ferdinand, so that's the end of the video, so thank you very much. <laughs> Goodbye, I should explain for people who don't know. Paul Gascoigne told a story how for a good luck charm one day he said, Les, let's have a hold of your winky. Apparently he held it in his hands and then he won that game in England, so they had to hold the winky in Paul Gascoigne's hand every single time England played for them on out for the, for the foreseeable future. Uh, so that was where that comment about Les Ferdinand came from. But we're actually here to speak about who's the greatest Premier League striker. Just ignoring the stats, we'll mention the stats, but ignoring the stats because, they, because of the stats the the answer is obvious um but we'll ignore the stats for today we'll mention them in passing we've got a tier list here to put them into and then we'll work things out from there how you yeah because yeah <laughs> stats can tell one part of a story but feel comes into it a lot when you talk about your favorite strikers um, right it does because there's some prolific strikers out there who I've just never felt and we'll come on to them in a minute oh ooh, ooh. in the way Gascoigne ooh. felt or a different kind of feel a uh, different kind of feel, more like a Robbie Williams feel. I just want to feel re-loved in the home that I live in or something. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've got too much something flowing through my veins, going to waste. What's he got flowing through his veins? Because I've got too much broth flowing through my veins. Flowing through my veins. <laughs> and there is a Roberto Mailbaggio segment today as well, so stay tuned for that. I think we'll put that in the middle of the tier list. Why not? Oh. I'm a maverick. I don't care about the rules. Right, we're kicking things off in alphabetical order on the pictures I made this morning with my own fingers with Sergio Aguero. If you are interested in the stats, 184 Premier League goals puts him fifth on the all-time Premier League goal scorers charts. He was, for a couple of years, for my money, the only genuine world-class footballer or striker. Yeah, striker, because Kevin De Bruyne was also a thing, Ross, you tit. The only genuine world-class centre-forward striker, whatever you want to say, in the Premier League for a good couple of years there. He was very good. Um, I always call him Ken Aguero, just because, <laughs> obviously, his, his nickname is um, Con Aguero. But I remember when he signed, I heard someone say, oh, if you had City, you've signed that Ken Aguero. And just from then on... <laughs> He's Ken, isn't he? Um, he don't drink in yeah. the wolf pack. Because that's in the day all. He don't drink in the Queen Vic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh. But yes, um, he was very good, wasn't he? Obviously taking the, the iconic. I was talking about this, actually. I was in the pub with my cousin recently um, watching Liverpool in the Europa League. And it's a pub I don't really like, but I remember being in there for when City won the league with the famous Aguero. 
And we were saying what a difference a couple of years makes because we were in the pub and we were all cheering City winning and seeing Alex Ferguson really upset. Whereas now, if we were in the pub and City won the league again, we'd be like, oh, lads, go away. <laughs> that was an all-time Premier League. I, I, I remember because I was at uni and we had a Man United fan living in our flat uh, at uni, re- uh, student resident sort of thing. And he was in bed while this was all going on, the final day of that 11-12 Premier League season. They've won the game at Sunderland. We're all watching. We had like four four legal streams at the time all going on all our laptops. We had Newcastle had an outside chance of qualifying for the Champions League on one, the Man City game on the other, Man United on the other. It was a fantastic day. And then just mm. when that goal goes in, football peaked. It still hasn't reached that level for me. It was incredible, wasn't it? Yeah. Absolutely incredible. But as you say, because oh. Man City are that good now, it has aged terribly. But Aguero, obviously, I don't know what you even say about him that hasn't already been said, as I guess is the case for every single striker in this video here today. But he, he, I don't want to say all round, because maybe, you know, physicality in the air, that sort of stuff that people care about, but that's not his game at all. But you've got to mention it, apparently, when you mention all-rounder. Um, I thought he was unbelievable. We've got the tiers, he- by the way, which are top tier in the top tier. Or top tier mm. in the tier. Uh, it's good, but it's not quite the best. Uh, what could have been for the strikers who have a little asterisk next to their records in the Premier League and the worst of the best bunch? I'm going to suggest that Aguero is, it's good, but not quite the best. I'll go with that. Oh, yeah, because like you were saying, you can't really call him an all-round kind of striker. He he had that eye for goal. A lot of really good poachers' goals, like you said, very prolific, but he didn't... I just want to feel real love. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> no, I still, uh, I, I still felt all that when he was playing for Man City. Like he obviously he built the reputation in Atletico, didn't he? Then came over here. Remember his first mm. game was against oh bollocks, who the hell was? Was it Reading, Derby, Swansea? I knew it was someone in a white kit. I don't know why I said Reading, but it was Swansea at home. And he twats one in from like thirty yards or something. Kabosh. Yeah, uh, d- yeah. Don't get me wrong. I would have had, uh, I would have had him at Liverpool in a heartbeat, but. I think good, but not quite the best. Because even though you said he's he's fifth on the all-time scorers chart, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that. Because just when you think of the best strikers and goal scorers, you go to other names, I think, before you get to Aguero. Yeah, and one of those names might just be Andy, Andy Cole. He gets the ball and he scores a goal, Andy, Andy Cole. Um, Obviously, one from the 90s, largely. I think by 2001, he was playing for Blackburn Rovers, whose career was on a bit of a decline, although he did. I remember he was playing for Man City in like 2005 or something. He scores this Peter Dinklage at the far corner. I think it might have been against West Ham. I don't know why I remember these kind of things in my head, but I remember watching on Super Sunday, potentially, at the Etihad, before it was called the Etihad, the city of Manchester Stadium. And he scores this goal for a bit of a career resurgence at Manchester City under Stuart Pearce but that was a different man he was very much lost all of his pace um, by that point because in the 90s I don't he was more this is going to be weird for people who aren't of a certain vintage he was a more all-rounder than Sergio Aguero for me and his pomp Andy Cole he was incredible absolutely incredible and I think it's weird that he kind of almost gets forgotten probably not by Newcastle fans but especially in that all-conquering Man United side that he was part of for, what, six years? Yeah, five or six years, something like that. But um, again, it's one of those that you you think of, you know, the the Class 92 and you think of, you know, even though he was a little bit before him, you think of Cantona, you you kind of gloss over Andy Cole, but the amount that he banged in under Ferguson was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, When he was at City, it was that when he officially became Andrew Cole. Potentially, yes, the fancy Dan. (laughs) (laughs) 
I heard a rumor why that was. Why? Um, apparently, he wanted to register andycole.com, but it wasn't available, but Andrew Cole was. So we went, <laughs> okay, if I've registered that, I'm now Andrew Cole. Because uh, I remember just all of a sudden one day he was no longer Andy. I was like, what's happened there? Yeah, that was strange, but that does make a lot of sense. These carny footballers and their hashtag brands before hashtags mm. were even a thing back in 2005. Anyway, when you think of Andy Cole, it's all about goal scoring. He was one of the best finishers the league's ever seen, but it was also the pace, the getting in behind. Remember that when they were winning, going for the treble that final day against Spurs, I think was a prime example of what he was all about. Um, obviously, yeah. as a Newcastle fan, you might think I'm a bit bitter, but he's come out and said I didn't want to leave. It was Kevin Keegan's call to sell me. I didn't want to go. So fair play, Andy Cole, with your picture with a rifle right next That's... to the time bridge. <laughs> Just on top of a rooftop in a full Adidas regatta holding an AK-47. It's amazing. <laughs> He deserves to go in the top tier for that picture alone. Um, <laughs> I think he's the same tier as Aguero, which is going to say, again, definitely. if you're like under 20 years of age, you're going to go, what the hell are you talking about? Sergio Aguero was a lot more world-class than Andy Cole ever was. But honestly, back in the 90s, there was nobody better around than Andy Cole in the Premier League for scoring goals. Well, maybe there was one, but he was definitely the second best. Yeah, I'd, I'd, <laughs> um, I'm with you on that. Same tier as Aguero, and I'd put him ahead of Aguero. Oh, Ooh, ooh, ooh. I'll go for it for you. I'll go for it. Jermaine Defoe, next up, surprisingly, and I say surprisingly because it doesn't feel like he would have had that many goals. 162 goals he managed in the Premier League era. I think one of the most underrated centre-forwards of the Premier League era, maybe because he jumped around one too many teams from really to sort of like become associated with a place and really make his mark, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, definitely. Um the, the term journeyman is usually a bit more of a, a an insult, isn't it? Saying that you couldn't really get it going, but you did all right. But like I said, the fact, um apart from maybe one or two seasons at the end of his career, I think it, it in the Premier League for the, the run throughout, wasn't he? Yeah, big time. I was West Ham yeah. about 2001. I think he made his debut, something mm-hmm. like that around that sort of time. Let's try and do his career. West Ham, Spurs, Portsmouth, Spurs... Toronto, Sunlin, Bournemouth Rangers. I don't know. Is that right? That sounds right to me. I'm maybe missing one. Everton? No, he never played for Everton. Oh, I don't know. Jermaine Defoe, Everton. I've heard it all. Oh, <laughs> what if I click on his He's name on the, on the Premier League website? I, I, Will I, it tell me? Yeah, you, I've, got I the, I've got the career I, up here. I wouldn't here. be surprised if... I keep breaking up with you there, Ross. I was going to say, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I played five aside of him. Bounced from... <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so he had a, a, a year at Charlton, apparently, but didn't make an appearance then. West Ham, Spurs until 08. Portsmouth on loan, then Portsmouth full-time. Then back to mm. Spurs. Then back to Portsmouth. What the hell? That must be Portsmouth on the second half of that 07-08 campaign. Uh, so Spurs, Portsmouth, Spurs. Sunland. And then Bournemouth. That's just his Premier League record, but I think there was that stint. I think it was at Toronto when he just before he went to Sunderland. Because remember when they signed him, Sunderland? And I was like, well, you've signed a washed-up fella there. He's done. He's got to the MLS. He's not the same player as he once was. And then he was he was the same player that he once was. But um, I think in terms of Andy Cole, Sergio Aguero, I reckon we're looking at, with all due respect to Jermaine Defoe, the worst of the best bunch. Because it's not a case of what might have been with his career. He had no real injury or setback in his career. Mm. He gave as good as he could have got. Yeah, he gave as good as he could have got. And it, what he gave yeah. was very good. Yeah, especially that Spurs run, because um, that's when what I I fondly remember him for. 
Obviously, the stuff at something like you said, we, we all expect him to be washed up, but he was not only prolific, they absolutely loved him. Obviously, the stuff with uh, little Bradley Lowry as well was fantastic. And I think even the skeptics of his career then were just like, he's a nice fella, him. Yeah. Um, yeah, where's the best budget? It, it sounds harsh, but again, like like you said, all that to and fro in, even though he was prolific everywhere he went, even the mighty Toronto and the MLS uh, in their very weird stadium. Um, yeah, it, it it almost sounds mean to put him there. What what have we got in terms of the standards on the all-time goal scorers then? He's number nine. Oh, wow, fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah where's the best bunch seems harsh, but... Yeah, I just think if you were picking your 11 and all of these strikers were available, Jermaine Defoe, with all due respect, would be near the bottom of that list. And that's not to say anything that he was a bad footballer or anything like that. He was a very, very good footballer. Mm. He had the pace. He had the power, despite his diminutive size, I'd say. He had the finishing. He had long ranges. Yeah. He loved a twat from long range, didn't he, Jermaine Defoe, back in the day? <laughs> um, but he had everything. I just He was one of the best, obviously, Premier League strikers of all time, being ninth in the all-time list. But I think when you're looking at the other names, he is categorically the worst of the best bunch. Maybe I could have worded that slightly differently, but I'm sticking with that title for the tier. Yeah, I think you've explained it well enough that we know that there's no malice in it. But like you said, when you're coming up against some of the names on this list, like Kenneth Aguero, it's uh, there, there has to be levels. To, there's levels to this game, as the kids say. I am tired. Don't keep... St- <laughs> we're going. This is it. We're Istanbul in extra time if it went extra time. It did go Anyway, let's Ferdinand. Uh, 149 goals in the Premier League. The complete set of forward for his time. Obviously playing until he was about 57, so there's a large portion of this watching audience going, Les Ferdinand, he was just a big old lump at the top of the pitch. He couldn't move. But before that, he was the total centre forward. Yeah, I obviously his time at Newcastle, absolutely fantastic. Um, I think though with Fernand, like you said, because he did play till he was like 200 years old, he really dropped off in terms of numbers, in terms of style of play. I remember his, his move to Spurs wasn't quite as goal-laden as you did, would have expected at the time. Yeah. Um, if we were judging this on purely the, the Newcastle layers of the mid-90s, I think he'd be potentially up there with... Um, Aguero and Andy Cole but I want to say worst of the best bunch you know just for how much he dipped off after that move yeah I think you've got to put take into account like the whole career uh, from start to finish or the whole Premier League run we should say from start to finish and as we say if it was just based on that period in the 90s where he was at QPR got the move to Newcastle maybe the first couple of years at Spurs as well obviously he had a couple of fine games for England as well during that time mm-hmm. um, but you've obviously got to take into account maybe I want to say maybe even as early as 98, 99 onwards for Spurs up until his final days in the in the Premier League were Leicester City, I think it was. There was part. Of, do you remember when Leicester got promoted? Uh, no, Leicester were in the Premier League, uh, sort of like escape relegation with Adi Akinbayi up front, that sort of era. And Muzzy is it? And then had a summer where they signed all the free agents that were available, and Martin Keown and Les Ferdinand were two of them. 
<laughs> needless to say, under Mickey, just, Ad- it was under Mickey Adams, I think it was. They got relegated. Needless to say, <laughs> I just made up. We've had a muzzy, is it? Shout on the show today. <laughs> what a delectable midfielder. Anyway, oh, I, I love them. Yeah. yeah, I think Les and Tim, again. I think it's the same case of Defoe when you're looking at the names on the tier list. Um, I mean, if you look at the, the Les Ferdinand who played for Newcastle, I think him and Shearer that one year they had together. I still don't fully understand why Les Ferdinand left. Obviously, they had the thing where Shearer had to have the number nine, which maybe upset him a little bit. But I've never heard him say that on the record but they had a year together in the Premier League and they scored 49 goals together which for the 90s was like oof that's a partnership that that's a partnership and then so oh god yeah um, so if that continued for the rest of his run I guess he'd be a bit higher in the tier list but with all due respect Sir Les we've got to account for those final five or so years in the league I reckon yeah definitely um, like you said yeah I remember that that partnership with Shearer because you just like there's two very strong, very capable men up front who can absolutely rock us a shot if needs be. Uh, the fact that it didn't last for longer, like you said, we'll, we'll, we'll find out one day. He may have even said it somewhere quietly, but... Yeah, he probably yeah, has. It's, it's probably in the, the front page of the papers yeah. today. No, my look. Anyway, moving on to <laughs> what I'm sure will be a rational discussion about a certain god, a certain Robert Fowler. Robert Bernard Fowler, proud son of Toxteth, known as God. If we were just going on his first Liverpool run, he'd be in the very top tier for me. <laughs> he wouldn't be far off, to be fair, if it was just on that first Liverpool run. But just like Sir Les Ferdinand, there is a massive decline. Because obviously, I've said it before on the podcast, my first year of being like fully like, you know, knowing what's going on week to week in the football was like 2001, 2002, where Fowler was at Leeds. Um, mm. And then from the decline from Leeds to Man City, and I don't know where he went after Man City, was it Australia? It's He, I, he played for like Brisbane Roar and Melbourne. And then when the prodigal son returned, we, we, we all felt eight years old again. <laughs> why was, did Rafa sign him? Was it just to get on side with the fans? Because after his time at Newcastle, I learned that one thing Rafa is like world class at, it's getting the fans on side when maybe things aren't going. They're going all right, but the way he gets the fans on side, it makes you feel like they're going a lot better than they actually are. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I want to say so as well, because everyone I spoke to, I've still got made to who cannot love Liverpool players as much as they loved Robbie Fowler in the 90s. Uh, I, I remember us all getting bollocked at school for um, playing footy and then pretending to snort the lines, not understanding what it meant because Robbie Fowler did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like you said, that, that move to Leeds, it just it fell off a cliff as Leeds fell off a cliff. Um, City, which in hindsight, it's mad seeing Robbie Fowler play for City. But I... I'm going to still say good, but not quite the best, but at the back of the three we've got so far behind Andy Cole and Aguero. Because like we said, that initial run at Liverpool with uh, McManaman and with, you still had John Barnes in the side. You still had Ian Rush in the side. The hat-trick record against Arsenal that stood until Sadio Mane broke it. And then we thought Sado will sign him as well. Um, He was fantastic. Weirdly, I don't think, I think he only ever had like a handful of call-ups to England as well. He was just never fancy for the national side. That's what I was about to say. I think a lot of things that holds Robbie Fowler back maybe in people's like perspective who aren't in Liverpool or Liverpool fans is the fact that when he was at his pomp, there was always somebody else in front of him in the England, in the England pecking order, which was very mm. odd to say, because honestly, that Robbie Fowler who did play for Liverpool in the early to mid-90s, that was, that was Jermaine Defoe, but... Up a, two, up a level or two, if that makes any sense as a comparison. <laughs> yeah, his, his actual skill on the ball was fantastic as well. Um, 
like you said, with considering that it was the nineties and like the, the the football de jour was still uh, lump it up to the big man up front and just smack it in in the net. Robbie Fowler was very skillful on the ball. He was like, I can't believe I'm going to say this. He wasn't. He wasn't quite the artist that Matt Letizia was, but <laughs> he could have those moments of just skill where you think, where has he pulled that off? And then, like you said, if he just needed to actually knuckle down and get it in the back of the net, he could. He was absolutely fantastic. But I will caveat with the fact that he didn't keep those numbers all the way. Yeah, big time. Thierry Henry. Should I just put him straight in the top tier of the top? Of straight, the tier, in the top. Straight, straight in the top. Straight in the top. I'm going to say, I'm going to label something to people because obviously Thierry Henry, as we're sat here, as we're sat here, as we're sat here right now, if he's going to come back, uh, 175 goals in the Premier League, obviously left for Barcelona in 2007, I believe. But his decline from Barcelona to the MLS, that was sharp as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. I don't know if it was a case of he just, it all caught up with him or if he just completely coasted thinking, I've won everything. I'm Thierry Henry. I'm Thierry Henry. I've had car sponsorships. I've got a statue and I'm not even dead. Uh, (laughs) Just thinking, I can't be arsed anymore. But um, I, I think we've spoken on the podcast before about he was one of those exits that even though I'm not an Arsenal fan, when he left, I was gutted because I just loved watching him play week in, week out. Yeah. The, the tra- well, everyone said, haven't they? The transformation from the sort of winger who arrived from Juventus into that winger come striker. Well, I don't want to say winger come striker. He loved that inside left channel, didn't he? That's what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, he was just, he was he was on a different planet, wasn't he? Back in the early noughties, especially in the Premier League. There was nobody like him in the league, or maybe even in Europe. I remember that game he played at the, the San Siro against Inter Milan where they ripped them a new arse, so like 5-1 or something like that. He was unbelievable. Yeah, he was, he was, uh, a gorgeous man, both on and off the pitch, uh, unless you play in internationals and, you know, uh, handballs come up. But apart from that, apart from that one blip, ah, wonderful. Loved watching Thierry Henry. I'd love to see him play in today's game as well, because obviously back in the early noughties, you could still, in the first 30 seconds of a game, leave a foot in and let him know you're there. Let him know you're there, that sort of defending. Um, so to see him now with obviously how, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? How much softer the game has got. You know what I mean? They, t- tough tackles aren't really loud anymore. It's, it's, all a, more, it's more about the prowess of the player rather than just, you know, tackles. <laughs> Definitely. And I mean, that style of player that Thierry Henry was has kind of shaped attacking football in the Premier League since. Yeah. I think that you can see the steps from, even though he wasn't, he was far less prolific and not played a bit deeper at times, but the, the, the kind of evolutionary steps from Bearcamp style of play to Henri style of play to, like you said, the, the kind of the the 4-3-3, which has done well for so many teams and having that kind of fluid front line where a winger's not a traditional winger, a striker's not a traditional striker. I think it can all be, I think Thierry Henry is like the chaos point where that blows up. How romantic of you there. My God, what a fantastic line that was on the podcast. Uh, we move on from Thierry Henry, though, to Harry Kane, who will... Well, we don't know, do we? He might come back. 213 goals he ended on in his first stint at Tottenham Hotspurs. Um, he's up. The, he's, he's the best here, isn't he? This is the player what I was saying about Robbie Williams. I just never felt the love for Harry Kane. That's because he's There's... boring. You like a bit of a bit of spice on your players as well. Harry Kane never had that spice, but that's what a manager wants. So Alex Ferguson that's... would have a... I've been watching that Beckham documentary this week. Ferguson would wank all over the private life of Harry Kane. And I realise that's a choice for, 
phrase to use. But Harry Kane, safest houses, never going to get in any controversy. All the tokens on the no. pitch, there's nothing outside. He's a manager's dream. But I know what you're trying to say there. Yeah, just like like you say again, it's one of those where the, the style of play, the numbers speak for themselves. A shoe in for the golden boot or in the conversation pretty much every season since he really broke in at, at Spurs. But I just it just bores me. <laughs> but well, as a footballer though, Jackins, as a footballer. As a footballer, yeah, very, very good. I, I am reticent to put him in the top tier just because of my own personal feelings. <laughs> But if you want to put him in there, I'm not going to argue with it because, like we said, the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, Newcastle fans all breathed a sigh of relief when he went to Germany. And um, when we said before he went to Munich, we were just like, that's a perfect fit. Uh, like you said, that if, if Ferguson was still at Man U today, and even he, he was linked with Man United, I think mainly because people still were thinking, oh, Fergie would love him, get him in. It's like, yeah, yeah so... You could, yeah, let's put him in the top tier. Yeah, he was everything, wasn't I say everything in the past tense. He still is everything. He's a, he's a central midfielder. We're recording this the morning after uh, England versus Italy, where he scored a wonderful solo goal, where Mark Gehis just kicked the ball forward. He sort of won the flick on by himself, got onto the flick on that he made for himself, battled off Bastoni, run through one-on-one and slotted it away. Total footballer. I remember a header he scored against Arsenal where he's just sort of leaped like a salmon right in the far corner. He had everything, maybe against some odds, not all the odds, but some odds because he was nowhere as late as 21, maybe. Was it that late when he was just sort of breaking into Spurs' first team? I want to say, yeah, it, it, it seemed like he was kind of like simmering under the surface. A kind of like a Phil Foden, but without the headlines because everyone's been talking about Phil Foden since he was like 14 years old. And, you know, he, he broke into City a long time ago, but really hadn't cemented himself for a while. It seemed to be the same with Harry Kane, where he was just like bit parts here and there and there and there. And then before you know it, it's like, oh God, he scored 26 goals. Yeah. Yeah. But, total, uh, total forward, I reckon. Total, yeah. total forward. Top tier and tier, yeah. Big time. Right, we'll do the Roberto Mail Baggio to split the tier in half, Jarkins. Morning oh, slash afternoon diddlers. So, with ticket prices slash ballots crippling match-going fans, I just wanted to get your lads' thoughts on what clubs could do better in regards to sales of tickets. I know Liverpool are notoriously difficult to get tickets for, and Newcastle have a ballot system in place. I myself follow Spurs and Hereford home and away when I can. Spurs ticket prices range from Category C... £60, Category B, £70, and Category A, £80. Sorry for the long one, lads. It wasn't that long, don't worry. Uh, up the Hereford, Mon the Spurs. Sorry, Atkins, Teehee, from your friend Jordan. That was that one. Hi, Jordan. Um, yeah, I mean, Liverpool on the whole for a good few years now, we're about, I want to say about 45, 50 quid, although that, you know, that's usually what I've paid when I've been buying. I've, I've got made to season tickets and when they can't be asked, I can't get the game. I'm usually first on the, on the blower to them. Uh, but that's because we're, we're a team who kick off. You can all thank us for changing VAR. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 we're, if, if, if someone's taking the piss, we're going to boot off. Like the, our owners have tried raising the prices before. We've had walkouts. Obviously, we were big behind the 20s plenty campaign for away fans. Um, it's it's tough. It is tough, especially when you're hearing like those prices were spares. Arsenal were famous for having really high prices because it, the, the London tax, isn't it? It's... 
and imagine if if you were paying that as well and you see your team get tonked, you'd feel even worse. Yeah, imagine paying hundreds of pounds for a season ticket with Alan Pardew as manager. Um, oh, God. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Just on the subject of ballots, because this is new for me this season. Obviously, I was an England supporter and follower for a few years and in the ballot system there, but I had enough loyalty points where I was largely successful and didn't really feel the pinch of the match day ticket ballot back then. But as a Newcastle fan now who's in this membership pool of ballot goers or ballot subscribers I guess you could call it you have to pay £37 a year just to get on the ballot and have a chance of getting a ticket and so far after eight applications I've had zero tickets uh, to my name I've only got to games through other people being successful a way I would change the ballot system is that if you are successful one game the next game you put the there should be like a tier system so if you were a successful one game, you then put to the yeah. bottom and everyone moves up a tier. So everyone gets a fair share of all the games because so far you go on Newcastle Twitter and again, like Newcastle fans kicked off because at the start of the season, when they brought in this ballot system, they were like, right, you can apply for a ballot, a ticket, but we'll give you the category. So you could be paying anywhere between £30 and maybe £70. And then people are like, whoa, 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 we've got families and bills to pay here. We can't be like in the lurch in the difference of £40 every week, just potentially like, no, you know, one week we get charged 30 quid, next week we get charged 70 quid, next week we get charged 70 quid. We can't do it that way. So they changed it. So you now apply for a category, then you, you, the categories are different sizes and then you're lucky or you're not lucky and I've been unlucky all the way through this season while other people have been lucky multiple times this season and it doesn't really seem fair so yeah putting the tiers in place I think and once you get a ticket going to the bottom tier so everyone gets a fair share that's the way I would sort out the ballot system the ticket prices are one thing I mean it's weird at Newcastle because we um, we got category two tickets for Burnley and Crystal Palace at home so the, the Palace game is this weekend as we're sat here recording. £44 that was. And then yesterday I applied for Arsenal at home. £41 Category 2 ticket. I don't understand. No, I don't get it either. Well. Um, I'm not a fan of balloting tickets for any kind of entertainment, whether that's sports, whether that's gigs, etc. Because... I don't know, I, I, and this is probably like a style of gatekeeping, really. But I'm just like, what if you've got like an absolute, for example, like uh, whenever Paul McCartney plays in Liverpool, it's always balloted. And oh, would you know that, that you see the same faces getting them, you know, the the, the uh, ones rubbing the shoulders with the stars. But I often think of, you could just have some chance. So it's just like, ah, oh, I might try it. Oh, if it don't go, I, I can sell it for two grand. Well, you could have a diehard who just doesn't even get a sniff. Um, while I agree with what you're saying there with the tier system, me just being miserable and paranoid thinks that the, there would be some way of fiddling that. If it was, you get a ticket one week, you go to the bottom, I can imagine there'd be a way of fiddling it. But it's modern game, isn't it? The last game I got to was Liverpool-Fulham, tail end of the last season. And my mate had a spare ticket because his missus was going into labor. I was like, I'll have it. I'm home. Let's do it. And I had to add him as a friend officially on yeah. the Liverpool site to get the digital ticket and transfer it. It's it's an arsehole. I know it's a necessary evil to try and cut out scalpers, but it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I can see from a club's perspective why they want to bring in a ballot system thinking, oh, make it fair for everyone to get to the game. But last season, we had it locked on. Like last season, the atmosphere at St. James's Park was amazing because you had to work. If you didn't have a season ticket to get a match day ticket, you had to log on at 7am and leave your window open for three hours. So you had a good place in the queue. You had to really want the match day ticket to get to the match. And we had the system nailed down. It was 7am, open your browser, leave it till 10am when the queue opens. Then you got a good place in the 
the queue. Then you've got to scramble. We would go for the same block right next to the away fans because we know that would be the last one that people would want to go for. And we'll get the tickets every time. And it was like, yes, we've earned these tickets by, you know, giving a toss and working for it. But now that's being taken away by this random ballot system. Again, I can see it from the perspective of a, of a club. But from a fan's perspective, if you really want to get to a game, that was the way to get to a game. And it's been taken away and it's a bit sad. Do you have any mates in like Australia or America? No. Ah, because I've had, I think a friend of a friend, what they did was had one of their mates in Australia phone up Liverpool and say, hi, I'm a lifelong red. I live in Australia. I'm doing a once in a lifetime trip. My name is, can I have some tickets? And they're like, yeah, we'll box you off. And my mates just went from around the corner instead. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to note that down. <laughs> yeah. Good eye, mate. I'll just do that. Right. Oh God, the next mail bagio is from Australia. In Australian football this year, our TV provider apparently forgot to renew the contract for VAR so that, uh, for this season. So it looks like the A-League will be VAR free. I'm intrigued to see how modern football goes without VAR. Let me tell you, spoilers, Frank. Kingston up the Frank Kingston it'll be absolutely fine because it was fine before it and it'll be fine after it uh, my question is for you without VAR what would you implement to look at referee decisions or would you leave it all to the refs that's from Frank Kingston a loyal watcher of them live streams on the channel thank you Frank would you if VAR was not a thing bring in something else to go oi referee you've dropped a bollock there Um. well on the whole I think the goal line technology has been a positive. There's a, obviously there's always going to be a couple of instances, but the fact that it's just like, or it used to be anyway, uh, like a little monitor attached to his wrist, and if it went over, it'd vibrate in a certain way to say goal or no goal. I can't see why we can't introduce something like that for offsides at the very least. Um, if if we could do that for offsides, and then maybe retroactive punishments. I I don't. Like especially for like diving and stuff like that, the the whole idea of well the referee missed it, so yeah you've got it this time. It, it can be done, but again, knowing the standard of refereeing in this country, again it just open up to all kinds of murder. But I think some kind of automated system for offsides could work. Yeah, I'm just sitting off the top of my head, and it it would be like VAR. But you'd have two extra officials sat in the stands or maybe even a box in the stadium mm. where the game is. Because I don't know why they have to be in Stockley Park. Why does it have to be there? There must be a yeah. reason, obviously, but why do they have to be there? Uh, have them in a box in the stand with a monitor watching the game. And as you say, the referee's got something on his wrist that can vibrate when there's something to go and check. And if there is something dubious, they can just buzz the referee and the referee automatically can just stop the game and go to a screen and watch it Watch the incident in full from start to finish. Not just starting, for example, with the Liverpool uh, Curtis Jones red card, not when the impact's made on the shin. Watch the full thing however many times they want. They can control the screen, and that's be how I'd do it. I wouldn't be... None of these... Oh, just It just needs to be stripped down. Anything dubious that the two officials in the sky can see, they've got the match day commentary on because... They give the answers, don't they? Surely the commentators who are watching the game thinking, oh, that's a bit dubious. Oh, that should be a red card. That should be a yellow card, whatever. If they hear that, if they watch that with their own eyes and can see it, I think there's no reason why you can't have two people in the stand in contact with the referee on the pitch just to go, right, you might want to go and look at that. Then the referee can get a better picture of what he's just seen with his own eyes. Yeah, um, I, 
the only problem I think you could have with that is with commentators, which it could be seen as influencing the referee's decision. Yeah. But like you said, the fact that it has to go all the way to Stockley Park is ridiculous, mm. especially when they're half arsed in the job anyway. Um, I don't know if this will be a, if VAR is here to stay an infrastructure thing and therefore all stadiums will have to be modernised to have this extra room in there or like you said, in the stands or whatever, but... It just seems like it, it, it could be so simple and it could work far better than it does in the Premier League. And it seems to work far better everywhere but the Premier League. But but the only issue is, Jack Atkins, is the fact they don't say full sentences when they're saying uh, check over or whatever they say, check complete. If yeah, they said check course. complete, that's a goal. That'd be completely fine. Everything would be completely fine, wouldn't it? Anyway, the final question in the Roberto Mailbagio this week says, back once again with the Mailbag Master. It's me again. Hope you're both doing well. Holding, giving, holding and giving, but only at the right time. This week's question is, what is the funniest slash most creative thing you've heard shouted at a football game? Mine would be at a crew game, hearing a bloke behind me loudly and proudly calling the referee as useless as a double bed for a ginger fella which took me a second to truly grasp up the hold and give and that comes for us from jay so i'll kick things off because i realize this is a shoot mailbag this week for jack atkins uh, so he's not a type to prepare so i'll give you this one it was at newcastle versus crystal palace 2013-2014 season at Selhurst Park. I made the journey down on the Megabus from Newcastle for an away day. It was long and a long way back as well. But all of a sudden, I heard a fan or two fans behind me start this chat. It was like, the Dembers came in two by two, Pardew, Pardew. The Taylors came in two by two, Pardew, Pardew. The army obies there was two, but they're as crap as me and you. Arlen <laughs> Pardew's building a massive arc. And I was like, that is the best chant. You've got Stephen Taylor, Ryan Taylor. You've got Papas Dembasise and Demba Bar. And you had Shola Amiobi and Sammy Amiobi breaking through. And I was, that is, it's, it's one of the greatest football chants I've ever heard in my life. And just seeing 3,000 pissed Jordies going, Alan Pardew's building a massive arc for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> it's David Mufer. Again, whole city away, the day when Pardew nutted uh, David Myler. I was there as well. And Luke De Jong was on loan at Newcastle. And I'll never forget being a part of that crowd as well. You know the Stormtrooper song, like, duh, 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 or whatever the death, what's it called? Yeah. I don't know, Star Wars at all. That, it's just Darth Vader's statement. That song, yeah. Da, 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 da. Just saying his song, his name to the tune of that song, but also doing the Bushwhacker walk. Luke, <laughs> Luke, Luke, Luke De Jong, Luke De Jong. It was amazing <laughs> times to be part of. But yeah, that's probably the two most creative things I've heard at football. Um, in terms of chance, I always liked the Jimmy Triori one, which was, you know... Uh, you know, blame on Traore. He just can't, he just can't, he just can't control his feet. <laughs> in terms of just an out and out shout, uh, this is, it is a secondhand one. It's nothing that, because most of the time when I go to Liverpool, I'm sitting in the main stand, which is, it's the old fella's stand. So I'm just always surrounded by just like polite old Scouse gentlemen. Um, I used to sit next to this one fella who just, he loved Jamie Carragher. And whenever anyone would do something wrong, they'd be like, oh, Lucas, oh, oh, Gerard." Oh, Torres. And then Carragher would make a mistake and just go, oh, Jamie. Oh, Jamie. Oh, Jamie. <laughs> was it Ray Wilkins? Uh, it was Ray Wilkins, yeah. But um, I can't remember what game it was, but there was just uh, someone just tweeted out saying, I just heard the greatest shout against Mike Dean. And someone in the cop one shouted at Mike Dean, Mike Dean, you'd eat yourself if you were made of chocolate, you bronze nonce. And I was just like... <laughs> 
There's no top in that. After that VAR discussion with Paul Merson, I can't confirm that Mike Dean is a bronzed nonce. Right, back to the tier list we go. Thank you very much for those Roberto Mailbagios, Ross at hold and give.com. We will resume normal service next week. Next up, though, we have Michael Owen, who I reckon is our first contender for what could have been, even though he had a wonderful career, obviously injuries, and the fact he's a massive, selfish arsehole got in the way of what could have been. Just a bell end again, similar to Robbie Fowler. If we were talking his time at Liverpool, I think he'd be skirted around top tier. Maybe it's good, but not quite the best. But like you said, the the what, especially the terms, what could have been, what could have been if you would have had a prime Michael Owen who was asked, who was focused, who was injury free at Newcastle. That could have been spellbinding. But we had it for like we had it for like four months before he got that first it was New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve, something like that. Paul Robinson mm. comes out like months before the World Cup, uh, around the turn of the year and just clatters him, breaks his metatarsal and other bones in his foot and that was the end. Because uh, that first few th- uh, three or four months, it was like seven goals in 11 games. Him and Shearer up front, um, Owen getting seven goals in 11 yeah. games. He was very good. And obviously, you go back to... I, I, I think you've undersold him there. I think he was the top... That, that period at Liverpool when he was getting Ballon d'Ors and whatnot and winning FA Cups, he was top tier. Top of the top tier. Yeah. Him and Emil Heskey, which everyone likes to laugh at Emil Heskey, but they had a lethal partnership. Um, he was... Obviously, people remember him, you know, outside of the Liverpool bubble, uh, World Cup 98, especially against Argentina, just tearing him a new arsehole. But he was he was fantastic. He was um, the, the the tip of the spear for us during that, um, the, the the fake treble, as they like to call it, um, <laughs> of the, the, was it the League Cup, FA Cup and UEFA Cup. Um he was brilliant, uh, and he, even at Real Madrid, he, he still had a really good goal scoring record, but they just didn't fancy him for whatever reason. And then, but yeah, what could have been tarnished his legacy? Newcastle fans hate him, Liverpool fans hate him, Man United fans hate him. Uh, I think Stoke fans are indifferent to him. <laughs> <laughs> it is so weird because you go back to like 2001, 2002, up until he goes to Madrid, basically, he was. He was it. He was Shearer's successor. He was the main man up front for England. He was, every time he got through, just about, it felt like he was going to score a goal. He had the pace. He had everything. He had everything about him. He had that big square head. He was built like a power pod. It was fantastic. Um, but then he goes to Madrid, comes to Newcastle, the injuries and the selfishness and whatever gets in the way of it. And yes, he has tarnished his legacy, but it is a case of what might have been. Does Wayne Rooney fit in the same category or did he do enough? I think he did enough. I thought he was brilliant I even like that we've spoken on this before I even liked it when he was starting to tail off at United and they turned him more in a, into a kind of attacking midfielder um, I don't like the fact that I like Rain Rooney as a footballer because of course not he, he, he played for you know Liverpool's two biggest rivals but um, you were saying it saying again he, he's, he's that kind of old he, he was in that old school mould of big lump up front but again up had a skillfulness that you wouldn't believe just looking at him. Uh, obviously, everyone talks about the time he shinned it in an overhead kick. It, he did come off his shin, but it was still a fantastic goal. Um, so the absolute thunder bastards. I remember him when he announced himself at Everton against Arsenal. I remember watching that on match of the day thinking, bloody hell. Um, I want to say top tier in the tier. 
I'm going to say top tier in the tier. Just in terms of goals, if you're interested, he is third all-time with 208. Mike Lowen, by the way, got only got 150. And I say only because the way he started his career, it should have been a hell of a lot more, but circumstances got in the way of that. But Rooney, of course, yeah. there is the, the, the two Wayne Rooney's, I guess, it's the, the street, faller, street footballer who broke on the scene and who maybe was there for the first year at Man United before he sort of became... Maybe, was it was it like more tactically aware, more of a team player, more like not in for, for himself? Because when he was like obviously breaking into the you know, year of 2004, I think it's a big highlight of what that Wayne Rooney was compared to what he became. That he became the sort of total forward with, you know, more team... Well, what am I trying to say? He was more of a team player, basically, after the year of 2004. And after that, maybe that first season at Man United after Ferguson really bedded him in there. That's what I think it boils down to, really, Ferguson probably... Th- taking him to one side and being like, look, if you're going to work in this team, you're going to have to do what I say. Obviously, you could argue that he built the team around Rooney, but he knew how to manage him. He knew how to get that kind of, because he was a very raw talent, but he was a bit of a hothead at times. Um, But Ferguson, I do think, obviously, all the praise in the world has to go to the player because he had the the skills, he had the ability and the belief, but I think it was Ferguson who really moulded him into the Wade Rooney that we know. Yeah, big time. Just going to look at where his career sort of started to sort of tail off because I've got his, uh, his, uh, his career stats here. As late as 2013-2014, he was still getting 17 goals in 31 appearances in the league, including subs appearances as well. So the decline, he then got 12 the following season, 8 the season after that, and then 16-17, he got 5 goals in 20, oh, 35 games Man United but again he was dropping deeper and deeper and deeper it, it, I think he did wonderfully well to sort of curtail because we're looking at people like Eden Hazard I was saying this in the podcast last week that his career hit a point and then it just went meow was that to do yeah. with him doing so much so young Mike alone I guess you could throw in that back in as well did so much so young that the injuries caught up to him by the time he was in his mid-20s Rooney I think did very well to curtail it as long as you look at the stats there, getting to 2014, maybe even 14-15 as well, where he scored 12 goals in 33 games. is still being, like, you can still do it at the top level. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, and obviously, all, all the Everton fans were very happy when he came back, but... I don't, although, he got, was to be it, fair, he got 10 in 35, including subs appearances, which isn't didn't bad. He, smack, he smacked one in from the halfway line as well, didn't he? Or he was did, that yeah. when he went to the MLS? No, yeah, no he did, yeah. He did. Yeah. So, but yeah, top tier in the tier. Like we said, that that prime Rudy was a, a terror. He was a terror. Yeah, old terror, man. He? he, that little terror. Uh, we move yeah. on to Robin Van Persie, who I think might just qualify for the worst of the best bunch, but at the top of them. Cause Do you reckon? I only associate the peak Van Persie with like maybe a three or four year period. The very t- arse end of his Arsenal days, and obviously that year, well, certainly that first year at Man United, I don't know about the second and third years, but that first six, seven years at Arsenal, it was always like, ooh, this lad, he's, he's good, he's got the talent, but he's not getting there. But then he got there yeah. and then stayed there for a three, uh, three or four years. Do I think he's on the same, oh, is he on the same level as a Fowler, as Aguero and Cole? I don't think so as a centre forward in the Premier League. In terms of, Raw ability? Oh, I don't know. He's, a, he's, a, he's a very odd one because he was there. Obviously, I think he joined Arsenal like 2004 sort of time. But then you're looking mm. at when he reached his pomp. 
we're getting this sort of 2010, 11, that sort of time, 2011, uh, 12. Yeah. Obviously gets the move to Man United in 2012 there for the 12-13 season. And that's what he maybe was at his pump that season where he scores that goal to, to clinch the league title where Rooney sort of played the diagonal ball and he's yeah. wanted it first time against Aston Villa. But yeah, that that period that he took to get to being the, the top player that he was and the period of time where he was at his pump, I think it was too short for him to be too high on the tier. Yeah, because now you've said it like that. Because when I think of Van Persie, I'm thinking of like you said that that the, the uh, title clincher goal. He's he's very much a highlights player, and uh, obviously the the insane looping header in the World Cup. Oh. And oh. when you think of the moments of genius, and you kind of trick yourself into thinking that was him week in, week out, week in, week out. But what could have? I'd say in the top of what could have been then. Oh, what held I think him back? Where's the where's the best bunch seems a bit too mean for Robin Van Persie for everything he achieved, even like you said, even though his his heights went as long as they could have been, they were still incredible heights. Mm. But like you said, a, a, another season or two. Well, have you got the stats there for him? Let's, I let's do. Go on the I stats do. Well, let me tell you them. How far he? Oh, he's on, he's on page two. That's how low oh. down he is. He's on page two. Uh, he got 144 goals in total. Uh, we'll work our way backwards. So 15 is when he left Man United, which is unbelievable. 10 goals in that season. 13, 14, he got 12 goals. 12, 13, 26 goals. 11, 12 now for Arsenal. 30 goals in 38 games. Uh, 10, 11, he got 18 goals in. 31 games 9-10 season he played 18 games got 9 goals uh, 08-09 32 appearances 11 goals 07-08 17 appearances 7 goals 06-07 27 appearances 11 goals 05-06 24 appearances 5 goals 04-05 26 appearances all starts 5 goals yeah that's that's it, it really was quite a, just like a, a a bump on a chart, wasn't it? Like the the drop off from his first season to his second season as United there, just based on the pure numbers is ridiculous. What did he go from 26 to 14 goals, was it? Yeah, he had 13 for Arsenal. Uh, sorry, 30 for Arsenal, 11, 12, and then 26 for United, 12, 13, then 12 and 13, 14. So yeah, it is, mm. it is literally, it's 2010 until 20... 14, let's push it to when he was at his real pump. If one, if maybe even be 2013. Yeah. Oh, well, I, what could have been then? What yeah, could have been? Why not? Yeah. We'll move on now to the red herring of the tier. I've thrown him in there because he's going to be up there by the time he finishes at Man City, whatever he finishes. But Erling Haaland? I think it all depends how long he's there. Because mm. in terms of what we saw from our first season, ridiculous, uh, you know, continued the form that he brought over from Dortmund, that he brought over from several different teams and different leagues before him. But he's 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 got that kind of or about where I don't see him sticking around at City for long. I think all roads are leading to Spain. Uh, and then I wouldn't even be surprised if he only did two or three seasons in Spain. They went, do you know what? I'm going to go to Italy. Why not? I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be the new Batistuta of Fiorentina. And then, who knows, he might go to, to, to Portugal. He might, go to Gal- uh, he might go to Turkey after that and go to Galatasaray. If he stays for City for another three seasons, including this one. So four seasons altogether. And already this season, he's looked a bit off the boil because he's not had quite the service behind him. But if he can regain his form from last season and stay up there, I think he'll be top tier in the tier. If he leaves after this season, 
I'd say it'll be a what could have been. Oof. That doesn't help us. Where do you want to put him? <laughs> so based on current, I put him at the back of it's good, but it's not quite the best just because he is still a work in progress. But it, it will be there. It all, dep- it, it all depends on how long he stays at City for me. Do you want to know who Erling Haaland has the same amount of Premier League goals as? He's got 44 Premier League goals as we're sat here. He's got the same amount of Premier League goals as Leon Osman. The same amount of Premier League goals as Jay Rodriguez. The same amount of Premier League goals as Noel Whelan. He's only scored one more <laughs> Premier League goal than Shola Amiobi. He's only scored one more Premier League goal than Demba Barr. Two more than Ashley Barnes. One more than David Hurst, Freddie Canute. Is he even that good? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I've always said he's the poor man's Kevin Lisby. <laughs> he's only got two more Premier League goals than Marion Pahas. Do you remember when people used to say, oh, he's a striker with a lady's name? Do you remember that in the early noughties and nineties? Oh, he's called Marion. How crazy. Oh. <laughs> hey, it worked for John Wayne. It worked for Marion Pahas. So we'll bring the tier list to a close with who is obviously the greatest Premier League goal scorer of all time in terms of stats. Where is he as a footballer? Before you say anything, Jarkins, I'd like to say that this man lost three whole years of his career, twice to his knee and once to his ankle. You watch what he did at Blackburn Rovers, more so than what he did at Newcastle for me to get a real gist of what Alan Shearer was all about. He was the total footballer. He did have a yard of pace before, as I say, he lost three years of his career, twice to his knee, one to his ankle. He was everything a footballer would want to be. But what would a not Newcastle fan say about Alan Shearer? <laughs> um he's he's got to be top tier in the tier. Um like you're saying the stuff of Blackburn, the um the amount of goals he was scoring there, obviously you think about playing with Tim Sherwood and that title win, t- title winning side was it 94 95 95 94 95. Yeah, um and then uh, I, I remember watching the TV when he was announced at um, announced at Newcastle. I think the day before or day or the week of Aiden Gibbons being born. That's how young Aiden Gibbons is. The little <laughs> sort. Um, as a child, obviously, I, I was more asked about England, and Alan Shearer was the the focal point of that team. Captain, goal scorer, legend, head like a big Weetabix. In terms, of, in terms of the legacy, in terms of the. Goal scored, he's top tier in the tier. If we weren't talking a tier list and we were talking about his career in general, I do think he is a case of what could have been if he would have had a bit more luck at Newcastle in terms of injuries and in terms of how, obviously, results played. If if he would have been a Premier League winner with Newcastle, obviously, that would have changed a lot of things. Uh, he said that that injury, the, the fact that they were kind of grooming Owen to be his successor and didn't really work out. But... Yeah, he's top tier in the tier, Alan Shearer. I just want to go through his record here. At Blackburn Rovers in the Premier League, 16 goals, then 31 goals, then 34 goals, then 31 goals, then 25 goals. Then his first, a second season at Newcastle, 17 appearances, all he manages, two goals. Then he's fighting his way back, 14 goals, 23 goals, another injury, five goals in 19 games in the 2000-2001 campaign. Newcastle qualified for the Champions League the next year, 23, then 17, then 22. Then he was going to hang his boots up 4 5 before Graeme Soon 
Wenger said, no, you're not doing that. And he convinced him to stay on for another season. So that initial retirement season was seven goals. Then he ended his career after everything he'd been through with 35 years of age, with 10 goals in 32 games, which isn't bad for a Newcastle team who up until that February were going to go down. We were like 14th in the league, but dropping like a stone. Then uh, Glenn Rhoda took over and Shearer scored a few more goals. So, um, But... For me, he's the best Premier League striker of all time because I think he's got the longevity over Thierry Henry. They're very different players. What always gets labelled a cheer, which shocks me, and I'll never forget this when he came and opened the uh, the sports court in Pegswood, a little village where I grew up, just outside of Morpeth in Northumberland. Um, for some reason, he was England captain, and there was just this weird like little sports court in the background, this little random um, uh, village out of nowhere, and Shearer came and opened it as England captain at the time. It was like 2000, something like that. And I remember being seven years old, and looking up at Shearer, just sort of stood there. And I'm like, he's not even that tall. And I was seven years old. And you look at him now, he's he's barely five foot ten. <laughs> oh, well. I think it's just because he he carried himself as a big fella. And like we said, he has got a... He's not, he hasn't got a big fat head like Steve Bruce, but he has got a big head. He's a very blocky fella. And I yeah. think the fact that he was all elbows, he wasn't afraid to slap a bastard if needs be. I think that just that kind of... Like we said, that that almost it, it's a throwback style of play now. But um, yeah, I'm I'm surprised he's as short as he is. I say short. He's you know an inch shorter than me. It sounds like, but he's officially um, 183 centimeters on the Premier League website. So I need to know what that is in feet for me to understand what that actually means. Uh, so feet. Apparently six foot, which I think is a bit of a stretch personally, just off my experience, stood next to him. But uh, there we go. Apparently he's six foot according to the official Premier League website. So who am I to argue with them? But like you said, going back to his uh, the pure stats in his retirement series, season, 35 years old and he's still a one in three striker. That's mm. superb. And the fact that he came back from injury and didn't lose a step as soon as he regained his fitness and his form and he was still banging in at least 20 goals a season. That's why he retired from England at the age of 29. He was just like, I've had two massive injuries at this point in my career. I can't do both and carry on as long as I want to. So he he gave up the England one to stay on longer at Newcastle. I guess he is in the top tier, but that point of like what could have been, if he joined Man United, how many more goals would he have scored? Because when he was at Newcastle, let me just try and work it off at the top of my head. Obviously, 96, 97, I think we finished second or third. 97, 98, we're down in like 11th or something because that's when Kevin, uh, sorry, Kenny Daglish ruined everything. Then Rude Hullock comes in with mid-table. Bobby Robson didn't get us back into the top four until 2002. Then it was third, then it was fifth, then we're back down the table to 14th under another Liverpool legend in Graham Souness. So imagine if he was at that Man United team all the way through there. But even thinking of like the strikers that came into United, obviously if they would have had Shearer, they may not have made these signings. But imagine, like you're saying, Shearer and Andy Cole, Shearer and um, Ruud van Nistelrooy, uh, Shearer and Rooney. Mm. That would have, I think that would have been a passing of the torch, wouldn't it? Because Newcastle, really been, New, yeah. Newcastle also bid for Rooney that summer, famously, and didn't get him before Man United yeah. bid for him. So I think Newcastle saw that as a as a success, <coughs> excuse me, a successor kind of thing, but it didn't pan out there. So I think that would have been a, a nice little trajectory for Shearer in Man United, getting mm-hmm. sort of taken over by Rooney. But there we go. We need to work out who's the best then. So in our top tier of the tier, we have Rooney, we have Kane, we have Henri, we have Shearer. Who for you is the best? I'm going to put, my heart says Henri, but it's Shearer, isn't it? I think Shearer... I'm not, I'm not saying anything. Who's your best? <laughs> we'll go Alan Shearer. Shearer one, Henri two. That's what I was going to like say. Because like you said, the longevity of his career, like you said, coming back from so many injuries, the fact that he was banging him in for fun when he was like 
<laughs> just be like, can I just go home and sit down? Uh, yeah. She, I, I, personally for me in that top tier, it's Shira one, Henri two, Rooney three, Kane four. Oh, yeah. I'll go along with that. Maybe Kane three and Rooney four, potentially. If we're just looking at them as goal scorers and the scorer of goals. Um, but, okay, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's they're all good. They're all decent players, aren't they? And they're all decent mm. lads. Well, maybe Rooney's not a decent lad. He's a bit a bit, uh, bit weird in his personal life, but that's, uh, that's besides the point. Hope he does well at Birmingham. Uh, but yeah, for me, Shearer is, <laughs> is the top one because, as I said, the longevity earlier, I think his he got a lot more of his career at the very top level than Henri did, which feels weird to say when Henri was at Arsenal and then Barcelona, but famously Barcelona bid for Shearer as well before before Newcastle did in 1996. So he could have been there as well 10 years earlier. So that's that. I can see your comment coming already, commenters. And that's that one shut down. He could have played for Barcelona, but he didn't. Uh, but yeah, I just think Shearer is the better goal scorer. Maybe Henri's the, oh, what's the more <coughs> aesthetically pleasing player. But then again, I think that's, yeah. that's what you like from your... I, I prefer my favourite kind of goal, apart from a thunder bastard in off the bottom of the bar, where it bounces up and hits the top of the net again, is a header. And Shearer's headers, oh, and that name as well, Shearer. He's done, Shearer. He was born to score goals and have commentators scream his name because if it's Twettle, that's not good. It's not the same, is it? Yeah, so ah, kids. No, it, it sounds like, <laughs> like I just put someone's window through. Um, but like you said, those headers, proper headers as well. You know, leading to the formation of Shearer's Island, of which I am also <laughs> slightly afflicted by. Uh, too many bullet headers from me. But um, like you said, Henri more easy on the eye, but. Shearer was just, you need a goal, as Alan Shearer. So there you go. That was it. We've worked out that Alan Shearer is the greatest striker in Premier League history. It's groundbreaking stuff here on the Holding Give Football Podcast. <laughs> Let us know who you think it is in the comments down below. No doubt it's going to be Thierry Henry for everybody who isn't from Newcastle, but that's what we're used to, and that's what we'll hear once again. So yes, noble service resumes this time next week when Jack Atkins is not on holiday. I've kept him for way longer than I was anticipating to keep him, even though we've just been recording for just over an hour. So I've kept it to the hour, but it's currently five, seven past 12 on this Wednesday afternoon so I'll let you go and enjoy your week off Jarkins and I'll see you and everybody next week. Bye Ross. Bye everyone. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>